0: hello my friends, welcome to Hope For Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, so glad that you're joining me. Today I'm going to do a broadcast on how do we get saved? I mean, what happens to us when we become born again? You know, conversion is not the smooth, easy-going process that some people think. It is wounding work, it is the breaking of hearts, it is the wounding that leads to salvation. You see, we're going to be grafted in. Uh, we're going to be cut and grafted into a tree. And as a result of that, there's a lot of pain in the process. In New York Times recently, there was a full page ad for Columbia University. It advertised seven different fields of study in which a person could get a Master's of Arts in Liberal Studies. Hey, here they are. You have American Studies, you can get an MA in that. Ancient Studies... East Asian studies, Islamic studies, Jewish studies, medieval studies, and South Asian studies. But Richard Newhouse spotted this ad and wrote an editorial about it. He says, where are the Christian studies? You know, you get these ancient Islamic, Jewish, etc., but no Christian studies. Well, the reply was, there's an understanding that Our nation understands Christian studies and understands the Christian faith. But I submit to you today, I'm not sure that that is accurate. In Psalm 16, verse 11, David says, you know, you make known to me the path of life. You will find me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, that phrase, you make known to me the path of life. David is talking about everlasting life. God is wanting to reveal his plan For our everlasting life to us. Now, as we look at this, right, this whole subject of why this is so difficult for people to receive a free gift of salvation. I gave you that article by the New York Times. There's actually four possible reasons why the Christian studies have been eradicated as an MA program from Columbia. Nervousness, you know, is caused. By an awareness that we are people who believe in Christianity. They get nervous about that, right? The university is supposed to be a cosmopolitan space where religious traditions can be subjected to critical examinations, but they're not taught as though they might be, well, you know, true. Even in religious studies and departments and faculty members who are Hindus or Buddhists and believers in mystical crystals, they can be quite open to profess their faith. Muslims, and and usually Jews too, they can raise questions about their faith. Nobody raises questions about proselytizing, right? But not so with Christians. The fear is that Christianity might be taken altogether too seriously. So the absence of Christian studies in the Columbia program, it turns out, is not an insult to Christianity. But is rather proof that it is true. Those other faiths might have a reason to be offended. Because as I've looked at the other religions, they're considered religions. Christianity is really not a religion, it is a faith in the person of Jesus Christ. As we look at salvation, salvation is so joyful, but it is a painful process. So what i going to do today, and then again tomorrow in the broadcast, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's conversion to Christ. So let's pick up the first five verses of Acts chapter 9, where we have a, an entire chapter records what the Apostle Paul went through as he's traveling. And he's out persecuting Christians, and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women who might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem? As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light flashed from heaven and flashed around him. He fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Here we see something very interesting. Paul has a confrontation with the truth of Jesus. This is an uncomfortable confirmation because Paul is thinking he is doing God's will by persecuting the people of the way and he's breathing out these threats against the Lord's disciple. I guess you could say, meanwhile, as he's doing this, if you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. God is working. So keep joyful, right? In the middle of conflict, God is even working there. Meanwhile, in the in between times, the enemy is also working. It's an epic battle that will continue our entire lives, but it's possible to keep your joy in the forefront. God puts systems in place to keep us on track and to keep us filled with joy. You know, sometimes you feel stuck and you can't seem to get out of the rut you find yourself in. It is at these moments that you need an epiphany, right? You need an awakening, right? You know, the most famous conversion in the Bible, in my opinion, was Saul. This Jewish Pharisee is converted to Christianity. It changes his direction. It changes his name. It changes his life. It changes everything about Paul. Paul is no longer Saul. He's been given that new name, Paul. When we think about conversion, Just thinking about that term makes some people nervous because calling for conversion seems to be narrow. It also makes people inside the church sometimes uncomfortable. Should I be converted? Yes. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like one of these children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. John chapter 3, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You see, we must turn from our ways and the world's ways to trust. The new birth is what God does. Conversion stories are very defensive. Some are dramatic. Some are very sudden. Some fall into place over time. Saul was knocked to the ground by that light and by that voice. He was having a collision with truth. He was coming to realize that God who created him was now recreating him. Saul had a God in mind that he wanted, a small letter G in mind of what he wanted. But he did not have a true relationship with God until verse number four. He asked, who are you, Lord? Well, he thought he knew. He thought he knew God could never be a human, and he thought that the Christians were wrong, and he's going through this time, and and he's assaulting followers of the Lord. Now, most people are not likely to construct a God like Saul did, that severe God of the Pharisees. And so, he asks, who are you, God? Let me ask you a question. Is there a God that you have made? Maybe it's a projection of yourself that you have put forth, but inside you know it's not true. You see, Jesus can actually change or transform you because our God is greater. This is why Paul wrote Romans 12:1 and 2. Several years after his conversion, he says, "I urge you, brothers and sisters. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, if we're honest, we struggle with inadequacies. We struggle with failure. Self doubt. You see, we create a God that is a God that can help us. If our heart condemns us, John tells us God is even greater than our hearts. You see, God must be greater than your heart, not a product of our needs. Paul had a sense that God, that he met on the road to Damascus, he has this revelation God coming to him. Showing him not what he wanted to see, not what he wanted to hear. It changed him. C.S. Lewis said, before God closed in on me, I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out. I could close the door, but I couldn't change who I was. Only God could do that. Listen, God comes to you. You think a mouse would ever search for a cat? (laughs) That's ridiculous. The mouse is hiding from the cat and hoping never to be found. Timothy Keller said, When I gave the Bible the benefit of doubt, and I treated it as true, I learned about the God of the Bible, and I learned automatically who God is. The Bible will sometimes infuriate you. When that happens, you know you have a God that is greater than your heart. You see, Paul, as he begins his painful process of conversion, it started with a confrontation with the truth. You see, people need the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus is just not a good coach in your life. Jesus is just not a good leader in your life. Listen, Jesus is the Son of God. The confrontation of who he is will change your life. You see, We're to devote our lives, carrying out the Great Commission. I was talking to a person just the other day of another faith, and I started sharing Christ with this person. And this person says, now, hold on. He says, my faith teaches that I should not proselytize. Why are you trying to proselytize me? I said, I'm not trying to proselytize you to my way of thinking. I'm trying to convince you of the truth of who Jesus is. Well, he didn't know how to respond to that. I said, because Jesus is either who he says he is or he is not. And he says he is the son of God. He says that he and his father are one. He says that I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. He says that if I call upon his name, I will be saved. Now, Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was much more than that. He was not just a good prophet. He was much more than that. He is the son of God. And when we have that confrontation with the truth of who Jesus is, the conversion process is starting. Here's the second thing that happens. Going back to the story of Paul, we fall under conviction by the Holy Spirit. Acts 9:6. Now get up, go into the city. And you will be told what to do. Now, the men traveling with Saul saw that he was speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but he would open up his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind, he did not eat anything. Now, here we see this conviction was dramatic, but it wasn't sudden. He was blinded by being put into darkness for three days. But just go into the city and, and I'll deal with you later, is what Jesus said, right? The voice said. Now, he could see nothing for three days and he didn't eat or he didn't drink. You say, well, why blindness? He couldn't see. He's not eating. He had to think. What was happening in that darkness? In Romans chapter 7, it tells us that What was going through his mind? And he alludes to it in Philippians chapter 3. What was Paul doing? We know from Romans 7, Philippians 3, that he was rethinking his entire understanding of God, going back to the Bible and seeing things he never saw before. Saul would have rejected the idea of Jesus being Messiah because, in his view, the Messiah wasn't matching what Jesus was. But he'd be blessed and honored to have his eyes opened when Jesus was cursed by God on the tree. Jesus was raised from the dead. He was vindicated. He was blessed. But on the cross, he was being cursed for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Here we see that Paul is having a change in the way that he is thinking. You see, in the first part, in his mind, the Messiah should be a strong king. But he sees him as a suffering servant. As we look at the rethinking that Paul goes through, we have even a further insight that Luke gives us in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, verse 14, it says, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, here Luke is recording what Paul recounts in the story of his conversion. And he says it's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, these are sharp sticks that they use to keep sheep in the fold. You stick them to get them back on the right track. Now, Romans chapter 7 opens with the deepest recess of Paul's heart. He says, I was alive apart from the law until I came across this commandment, this 10 commandment, thou shalt not covet. He was intensely discontent, and he couldn't love God as much as he knew he could love God. And then he experiences something unbelievable two chapters prior to his conversion in Acts chapter 9. He says, Stephen, in the way that he died, it may have made him furious, but it actually made him more discontented. You see, God even used the testimony of Stephen, the death that was ordered by Saul, to convict the apostle, to convict Saul, to change his way of thinking. So we've learned that conversion is a process of first having a confrontation with the truth of who Jesus is. And secondly, we see being under conviction by the Holy Spirit. And then number three, we see conversion by the grace of God. Let's go back to chapter 9, verses 17 to 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Wow. Conversion taking place. Charles Burton said: If people are to be saved by a message, it must contain at least some measure of knowledge. There must be light as well as fire. Well, Ananias goes to Saul and Saul gets his sight back up. Ananias is upset. He didn't want to have this destruction of the saints, but as he goes and he arrives and he calls Saul by the name brother, he knew that Saul was praying, verse 11, and that Saul had a vision of him coming to visit him. And so Ananias lays hands on him which I guess you could say means I love you, I'm with you, and it leads us to grace. He knows who Saul is. The Messiah reveals himself to Saul and his weakness, and Saul is tremendously born again. He's got rid of that burden. John Bunyan, when he was saved, says, my burden fell off in an instant. Maybe today as you're listening to the broadcast you're looking at your life and you've been carrying a burden and this burden's getting heavier and heavier and you're looking at the results of your life and and you're burdened and and you feel like there's no hope i want you to know that you can have a relationship with the lord i'm praying for you right now you know the difference between saying your prayers and praying is the difference between a cold relationship with God and a personal relationship with God. God is wanting to bring about redemption in your life. Are you willing to surrender completely to Him? When you are, that is when you are going to be truly born again. There's one final point that I've got to cover, and that is change is undeniable. When Saul was converted, there is no doubt about his salvation. Some were a little bit resistant because they're thinking that, that he's going through these motions, maybe to come in and persecute the church. But the change that took place in his life is undeniable. It says in verses 18 and 19, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know, as we see this change that takes place, the thing I need to be most rescued from is me. You see, I've had a, a really hard time with myself, so we cry out, Lord, rescue me from me. As a result of being rescued there is an undeniable change that takes place. The scales fell from Saul's eyes. Not only did he regain physical sight, but he was given spiritual insight, and he got up and he was baptized. He took some food and, and got his strength back. Well, what happens to us when we're born again? How is our lives, how are they changed? Well, there's just a couple of things I'd like to mention. There's three proofs of conversion and they're all found in our desire. Number one is that we start to be intimate with God. We want to worship Him. In verse number 20, it says, at once, Paul began to preach. He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What happens inside? Can't help but come on the outside. Saul was so changed. His name changed. His character changed. His message changed. The entire trajectory of his life changed a whole new direction because he had an intimate relationship with God and he wanted to worship the true God. But there's something else that happened. And by the way, let me back up for just a moment. If you're born again and you don't think that you need to worship with God's people, I wonder if you've truly been born again. Because part of being born again is that you want to worship God not just by yourself, but you want to worship with God's people. It says that once he began to preach in the synagogue, that was where the people gathered to worship. He didn't just gather there in a house. He went to the synagogue. And this is even before there were church buildings. They were using a Jewish synagogue, but Paul took that opportunity to gather with other believers, to give the message of salvation, the gospel to those that he preached as he was worshiping. Number two, when you are truly converted, you have this sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of yourself. And you may be a tightwad, but all of a sudden, you are a giver. You know, God so loved the world that he gave. You know, a Christian that is a tightwad and refuses to be generous really is is the antithesis of our faith. Our faith is based on not hoarding, but giving, based on the fact that God gave us his one and only begotten Son. Verse 21, all those who heard him, that's heard Paul, they were astonished. And they asked, isn't he the man that raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Look what else he does. Verse 28. So Saul stayed with them, and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Isn't this amazing? Saul goes from killing Christians to now being one who is being pursued to be killed. You see, when the believers learned this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Paul was willing to be a living sacrifice, giving up his very self to proclaim the gospel. You see, that happens when you get saved. There's a third thing that happens. You live in community with believers. It says that Saul, verse 19, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus this desire to be with other believers, unbelievable. You know, when you're born again, God gives you that desire to be with your family. When you're born into a family, God gives you a desire to be with your biological family. God gives you a desire to be with your spiritual family. Oh, I want you to live in joy today as you fellowship together with one another. If you don't have a church home, why don't you come on down to Ridge Community Church We're not too far from anybody in Hampton Roads. Our church is located in in the Hickory section of Chesapeake. Love to have you join us this Sunday. Our regular services are at 9 and 1045. I would love to see you this weekend. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 AM. We'd love for you to join us.